Hi, welcome to the podcast where we do it for the love of it. I'm Kevin. And I'm Charles, and this is the sports podcast where we talk about the best sports and events from across the global competitive landscape. Okay, so uh, this week is uh, pretty action-packed. We have a little bit of baseball, a little bit of football, and and we have a little bit of rapid-fire questions we're going to end off with. Yeah. I think we will start with football, and we'll start with the biggest result of the weekend. What happened to Ohio State and Purdue? This was not what we were expecting. Um, I don't know. I feel like this is what I was saying before. This is about the time you see these teams drop games that they shouldn't drop because it's big game after big game after big game, or it's a week schedule kind of now in the middle, and then you end on your big game of the season. So they kind of, you get, they take a little bit of a break here, and you see a lot of upsets happen. So I think that this is a case of this game. So you think this is a mental loss more than just a, well, it can't be a talent loss, obviously, but more than a physical loss. It was a yeah, I think the it mind was a case of you 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 have you need to have a break. It's go 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 go, and you take a break. And some teams survive it. Sometimes you don't. Um, and this one they didn't. And holy, did they ever not even recover at any point in the game. <laughs> yeah, like, there's no good explanation when you look at the stat sheet for why they lost. They only had one turnover. They won the time of possession battle. Like, they threw for a ton of yards, just couldn't get it in the end zone. It was a very weird game. I feel like that's one thing that's always uh, misleading, is always, like, they throw for a ton of yards. You can throw for 500 yards and lose a game. You rush for 300, you win. You know yeah, I mean? they, like, they, I think they're leading Russia at 45 yards. And exactly. this was this was supposed to be a team, uh, what is it, Weber and Dobbins, that are supposed to be yeah. like big-time runners. I think Dobbins, if I'm not mistaken, was one of the top recruits the year he came out with comparisons yeah. to Reggie Bush, and we haven't seen that I'm, this year. I'm pretty sure you're correct about that. Like, it's very weird to uh, to see something like this kind of uh, happen, like to not recover and show that you are that team, just to be throwing the ball over the place, getting dominated on the point of attack on both sides of the ball. Like it was like, it was one of the craziest mental breaks I've seen. And maybe that's the case of them not having um, what's his name for the start of the year. So it was a lot more stressful. Yeah, you think it wore on the players' minds or maybe the coaching staff's minds more than usual? Yeah, I think so. So, I mean, it's for them to not come back at all, I feel like maybe that was a little bit harder on them than thought. Yeah, you certainly... Like, this doesn't knock them out of the play, the playoff picture. They still have that date with Michigan. And the way yeah. Michigan's playing, if they that would be a quality win above pretty much any we've seen so far this year. So they can certainly make it back to the playoffs, but they've lost their margin of error. Yeah, exactly. And like you said, that so, mental state, <laughs> they they yeah. can't afford another lapse. Even some bad wins might knock them out at this point. Yeah, exactly. Um, now they really need to show that they are who we thought they were and be that team that dominates from here on out and then gets to the playoffs. Hopefully wins in the first round to slide into something a little more exciting. They should probably avoid 
attempting 73 passes in the future. That's not usually a recipe for victory. No, not at all. So, I mean, I just, I'm going to chalk this one up to a uh, lapse in mental acuity. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Urban Meyer won't be happy with that assessment, but he might agree with you. Yeah. All right, we should move on now. I don't have one specific game I want to talk about in the Pac-12, but I just want to talk about the Pac-12 in general. They were left out of the championship picture last year, and as weeks go by, I can't see them getting in again this year. Oregon, which was their top-rated team, lost to Washington State, and the Cougars are now the top-rated team from the Pac-12, and they're 14th ranked now. Yeah, I don't know. Like, are we seeing, like, what has the Pac-12 become? I don't know. I feel like it's a slump, a slump that they can get out of. It's not like they have no team in the top, you know, 25. Yeah, it's... like, uh, uh, Oregon's still there. I believe Utah, who beat USC, has jumped into the top mm-hmm. 25. Yeah, jumped up, yeah. So, I mean, like, we're, you're looking at, like, them not being in the top five, which usually someone is in the Pac-12. I mean, I would just leave it up to it being one of those, uh, one of those years of, you know. When was the last the time we saw a great Pac-12 team, though? Like to me, uh, this is like not—it's it just like not just one bad year. Yeah, Oregon had that strun of pretty good team. Well, not pretty good teams, great teams that teams, never yeah. quite finished it off, but. What was it Mariota and what's um, his name? Yeah, all the Chip Kelly teams. Chip Kelly, yeah. You know, so like that was the case, but I just feel like that can't kind of go forever. But I mean, a team that has Nike endorsements the way they do, you would think <laughs> they would be able to keep up that recruiting. Yeah. So it's, it is very yeah. weird. I wonder if maybe it has to do with how where football is going and we got much more we're much more worried about concussions now than we used to be so it's a lot less a lot people are holding their kids out and maybe on the west coast it's not as ingrained in the culture it is is in the south and i wonder if that That's has true. something to do with it that this is just the first block to fall and maybe we'll never see the pac 10 recover until we cure cte or whatever you'd have to do to return yeah, football no. to ultimate dominance yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it, and it could possibly be the case. Um, I mean, yeah, I feel like a lot of the recruits that were at Oregon and whatnot were just blazers from all over the country. I yeah. just feel like right now they're not making that pull. And losing Chip Kelly, I feel like it was a, was a massive blow to them because coaching is everything in the NCAA. Yeah, it's a huge but deal. But also coach... Chip Kelly is no longer Chip Kelly because everybody copied yeah. him. So you need yes. you need the next Chip Kelly. You need the next Chip Kelly, exactly right. You need to find that other coach. I mean, whether you pull one out of the NFL, you know, or something like that, but you need to do something because Oregon should not be this low ever after you know those those like it was a decade of success. Yeah, and then you've you got uh, like you got the two teams in Los Angeles that have even. Like, deep, maybe not the recent history that Oregon has, but they have deeper history. Like, you think of SC, is there a more storied program outside of Alabama than USC? Yeah. And they've been, they've been around, they've been competent, 
But since we had the Matt Leinart, Reggie Bush era, has have they made a ch- national championship since then? I'm not sure they have. I don't think so. I don't think I they've made no a top four playoff team since we moved to that system. No, no, they have not, for sure. So, I mean, I don't know. I feel like we're looking at kind of a weird lull in that kind of uh, system. Um, and we'll see. I'm, we're going to see it pick up. But for right now, I feel like it was that the fact that every coach that was in there that was of any clout isn't there anymore either. All right. That That's has... a reasonable issue. When you think of the, the big-time era, there were some big-time coaches in there. You had Harbaugh and Carroll yelling at each other. You yep. had Chip Kelly. So that's, yeah. a, that's solid reasoning. I can, I can get down with that. Okay. So Pac-12, we imagine it will be back, but when do they find the super coaches? <laughs> Um, Okay, so let's talk about Auburn and Ole Miss. This is not, I don't think it's on the top of anybody's list as important games. Auburn's got their three losses. We're not going to see them in the national championship this year. Yeah. But I wanted to talk about Jarrett Stidham, quarterback at Auburn. This guy has confused me all year long. The first game I saw him, I thought, like, Heisman candidate. This guy's going to be great. Yeah. And then some of the later games, I'm like, this guy's a bumbling fool. He's going to get replaced. What's going on? <laughs> so they won this game, but Stidham didn't look great to me. And I think I finally nailed down the reason, or at least 70% of the reason. Yeah. Something, I think he took a hit or something. As a former quarterback, when you take a really big shot, I know it can affect you for games down the line. And I'd yes. like to go back, I'd like to have like the coach's film that ESPN has access to and watch, just watch him, see if he took a shot nobody really noticed. Because I think he's yeah. just shaking in his confidence. That's fair. There I mean, was... Uh, go ahead. No, I, I feel like it's also like usually what comes along with um, struggling in games is sometimes coaches can come down maybe even a little too hard. Maybe said something they didn't really mean and he feels like, don't make any mistakes. That's all I have to do is not yeah. make any mistakes instead of, you know, throw for the fences and, you know, next year we'll, we'll do better. That's an interesting concept. You and Brad on the Planet of the Apes podcast actually talked about that last week, how some coaches, when they make a mistake, their only response is to yell and yell and yell, and maybe yeah. that's what happened. He just Because there was a rollout where – it's It was an easy play. Like, it's a play that any high-quality college quarterback has to make. And rather yeah. than just bullet it into the open receiver, he tried to touch pass it in. And that gave yeah. enough time for the DB to knock down. He just There's something missing mentally at this point. And maybe it is the coach coach pushed the wrong buttons and made things worse rather than made things better after a bad game. Yeah, 100%. And the thing is, is that it's really tough in the NCAA because those coaches are on a hot seat. So... You can't give him time to. Yeah, Malzahn, up. I think, would be right at the top of the list of most people's hot list, hot seat list. Yeah, exactly. So now he's, you know, outbursting at his player, you know, maybe a little too much. It could possibly be the case because, I mean, you're trying to feed your family <laughs> and, you know, your quarterback's struggling. So. Yeah. We are getting psychological in our NCAA <laughs> discussion this week. I like it. I guess you know what I mean, but you gotta you gotta think of something because a, a player like that doesn't just disappear. Yeah. So you gotta try to figure out some sort of reason, and the dedu- deduction says that maybe 
maybe your either your coaching is coming down a little is either off or you know kid took a weird hit but i'm sure i mean i feel like that's less the case yeah all right uh, last couple of games I wanted to talk about. Uh, Michigan beat Michigan State, and Clemson run ran all over NC State. Very happy. So, uh, we could also throw the Alabama game, which was more Alabama game, into this conversation because I want to talk about what uh, what do you think in playoff picture wise right now? Well, I'm thinking that Clemson's definitely making it in, which is nice. Yeah, this was the they've been waiting for a statement win all year, and this was it. Trevor Lawrence threw for like three hundred and eighty, three seventy, something like that. Looked pretty yeah, good exactly. as a Clemson fan. You got to be feeling good about him right now. Oh man, um, I'm very happy. I mean, I think the reality of it is is that uh, Bryant is a is a really good quarterback, steady, but he, you know what I mean. Like this kid is already at that level. That's that's why yeah. you go with the the youth because now you have another few years with him where Bryant one more year and he's gone right so if he's not separating that much go with the kid because the kid's going to be you know that much better he hasn't played against the talent now he's played against the talent he you know what i mean that jump is bigger and i feel like right now we're seeing a player that is a little bit better than Bryant so, yeah, do you worry if there's any risk? Like we've seen Bryant play well against Alabama on the biggest stage. Yeah. Do you worry that putting a true freshman in against Nick Saban on the big stage, which is what at this point one versus two, this could be the national championship. Yeah. Do you think there'd be a worry that we'd just absolutely collapse and we're looking at a fifty-nine to seven national championship game? I feel like a fifty-nine to seven uh, championship game would be better than a game where we lose, uh, you know, 14 to 28 <laughs> just because we don't have the ability to make that step. Like, like Bryant clearly didn't have the talent at that moment to make the throws that. So you don't think Bryant we, had a chance basically. So you're saying the risk, it is more likely that there's a 59, seven game. Yeah. But you think the risk is worth it because the reward wasn't big enough the other way. Yes, I agree with you. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Uh, Michigan, or did you have more to say about Clemson? Oh, I... I... What? (laughs) Uh, We should should mention, even if it's just in passing, we should mention Etienne had another three touchdowns. He's not the Heisman favorite (laughs) at this point, but he's got to be, I think, in most people's top five, maybe making his way to New York. Yeah, I guess, eh? Um, I feel like he is a really good runner, but I don't think it's anything more than that. I think it's more the case of their O-line being extremely talented as well, and also the capability of Lawrence's running ability um, that allows him to get a little more space, but really good runner. But I feel like he's uh, as, as good as, like, what was it? Galway was or Galloway or who was Gallman? last year? Gallman, yeah, Wayne Gallman. Is, thank you, Wayne Gallman. Yeah, I feel like it's, he's literally just a cut, copy and paste version of that, maybe a little okay. faster. That Gallman was one of those guys where he never looked great, but whenever you needed the run, he always exactly he always seemed to show up. So if you had that, there's nothing wrong with that. No, nothing wrong at all, but uh, definitely not the Heisman type. All right. 
So let, let's move on now to Michigan. They're ranked. After this week, they beat Michigan State. Yep. Offense wasn't that impressive. Shea Patterson, I still do not have any belief whatsoever in Shea Patterson. <laughs> but holy crap, that defense is otherworldly. If Alabama yeah. didn't exist, this would be the best defense in the world right now. I agree with you. Like, it is, it is dominant. They are coached so well, and you see that. And they have the talent to match that coaching. Yeah. Like, strong on the lot, point of attack, you know, DBs making plays all over the field, you know, no miscommunications. They look really, really good. Yeah, I think the Spartans quarterback finished with 65 yards passing or something ridiculous. I think it was like they just like absolutely smothered him. Yeah, it was absolutely crazy. And. Yeah, 5 of 25 for 66 yards. That's absurd. Yeah, 100%. I'm excited to see them play Ohio State. Yeah. Yeah, they're outside of the playoffs now, but LSU plays Alabama, so you suspect that if they win out, they don't have to worry. They're going to be in the playoffs. They control their own destiny at this point. Yeah, 100%. It's going to be really cool to see, especially a team coached by... Harbaugh. Yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, any time Jim Harbaugh is on your TV screen, the world is a more exciting place. Exactly. So Can you imagine I, just the the end of game handshake between Jim Harbaugh and Nick Saban? Oh, that's <laughs> that's gonna be a weird one. Yeah, I want <laughs> I want Michigan to slot in at four just so we have that matchup. I don't want one versus three, so we miss that. Yeah, I agree with you there. That game though would be. It has the possibility to be like a six to three game. Yeah, a hundred percent it does. And it would be spectacular to watch. <laughs> yes, a great six to three. There are bad six to three games, but there can also yeah. be great six to three games, and that might just be it. <laughs> okay. So let's uh move on from the NCAA into the NFL. So this was the week we've been talking the last couple of weeks about the NFL. How, what's going on? We can't predict it. This was the week where I felt we finally got a handle on what the teams are. I think, I, I feel more confident about saying these teams are bad, these teams are good this week. I think there's a big leap. Yeah. I don't know if I you think, feel the same way. I feel like you're right. Um, other than I'm confused about Jacksonville, I am with you. <laughs> this, Jacksonville is at the top of my list. I think I now believe Jacksonville is bad. <laughs> like, I don't I don't believe in Jack I Jacksonville they might they're not gonna win that division because Houston I think is not great but I think Houston's a 10 and six team and I think Jacksonville is a seven and nine team we can we can all just forget about Jacksonville this year maybe I they'll be back like, in 2019 I like I said before they should have got Alex Smith and I'm not wrong <laughs> no yeah that like, would have been great. They would be fine right now. They just need a quarterback that's serviceable, and Alex Smith is well beyond serviceable. He is a good quarterback. Um, they, they, the fact that they're talking right now about, oh, maybe they're going to get Colin Kaepernick in there. <laughs> like, And people are like, oh, maybe he'll turn this around. Like, Blake Bortles is struggling. <laughs> and it's tomorrow. Are, like, it was... Three weeks ago now that Blake Bortles had that really wretched game. Yeah. And I don't think it's coincidence that we've seen just bad performances from the Jaguars since then. I think the defense yeah. just said, 
oh man, like we're done. What what can we do? Yeah, like there's you can only battle for so long. Like if you're on the field for 97 plays, basically, what do you do? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's I don't know. It's it's crazy. Um, because I mean Houston is a is a decent team. Like they're gonna be able to push the ball down the field. In, they finally got a uh, running game this this uh, yeah. week. Not a great one, but Miller had great one. close to 100 yards. I think he might have had 100 yards. Nothing special, but... Yeah, I mean, and then you're capable of passing because you have one of the best receivers in the league, maybe top two. And don't forget, Deshaun Watson, we kind of expect, ever since Adrian Peterson was a freak off the ACL injury, we kind of expect a lot from players yeah. from the ACL injury. But if you ignore that one freak cause, usually... The player gets back, and it takes him six to eight weeks to really get going. So I think yeah. by midseason, we're going to see the Deshaun Watson that we saw at the end of last year. I think so, especially yeah. with a win like this under his belt. You're beating Jacksonville's defense. They're strong. They're kind of everything you want in a defense. And to do what he did against them yeah. isn't bad at all. I and mean, they're now I mean, first place in the AFC South. They're healthier yeah. than I can remember the Texans being in a lot in a long time. Yeah, and I mean, uh, the only problem they have is coaching, and I will stand by that 100%. Yeah, that's the only problem, is Bill, Bill O'Brien needs to be fired for this team to win a Super Bowl, and yeah, they keep doing enough to save Bill O'Brien's job, so yeah, what's you going to do? Oh, what do you do? You can just keep kind of sitting in the mediocre. I feel like this is a perfect example of Bryant. Like, he is that type of player. Like, so it's Bill O'Brien will be the guy who can, you know, you have a whole bunch of talent because he's just like Bryant in Clemson. He was, he has a talent. But (laughs) it's just not enough because of this one thing. And it was like, probably arm talent, I would say. And it's kind of like the same thing for the Texans. They have a whole bunch of talent. But the coaching is trash. Like, <laughs> and it, it'll just keep them from the. They can have success, but it'll keep them yeah. from that top step. A hundred percent. I mean, you're gonna need a paradigm shift of epic proportions if you're gonna push up a coach who's putting you at the top of the top of the you know little division they got there. So yeah. Okay. Uh, let's talk about um, Carolina. And Philly. I think this is right. a fun one. Yeah, I think this is the first chance we've had to talk about my Super Bowl pick, the Carolina Panthers, because they've just yep. been kind of plodding along, nothing special, just winning their yep. games. I think they're 4-2 and two at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, they finally played an exciting game in addition to a good game. They were down yes, 17 yeah. nothing, and Cam Newton, at that point, I think he had like 112 yards or something terrible. But he ripped through the fourth quarter. Playing well, all, led the team in rushing, which so often Cam Newton has to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, beat the defending champs. Yeah, and uh, in convincing fashion too. Like, like it is a good defense Philadelphia has. So yeah. to be held to, you know, such a small amount of yards, isn't crazy. But I think yeah, you his see stats exactly, by the end of the game looked solid. Yeah, exactly. But like you're gonna, you saw exactly why Cam Newton was talked about as one of the best quarterbacks in the league and should be talked about still as one of the best quarterbacks in the league. 
He does not get shaken. Like, unless you're getting these weird hits that the NFL seems to allow on quarterbacks that can run, like, he is one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah, like, like he, he just... He ta- has a bad rap for whatever reason because he talks more than most quarterbacks and he wears yep. the funny hats and all that stuff. And yep. I, it always seems to be forgetting just how good Cam Newton is. I didn't want to like him when he left college. But his <laughs> talent is undeniable. He's a freak. Yeah, 100%. And it's the, like, if he never took, like, 80% of those hits, like, when they played the Broncos the first game of the season last <laughs> yeah, year, and he took, like, 14 headshots, and they didn't call, like, a thing, like, I was like, this is ridiculous. Like, what am I watching? Like, I thought we were, they protected quarterbacks. I mean, like, now we might be seeing something that seems a little way over the top, but... It's the LeBron James effect. Where you, because he's such a giant human being that you yeah. kind of, you think, oh, he can deal with that. But headshots are headshots, so. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just kind of like, like I was so, like watching that game, I was like disgusted in the fact there was no calls. But <laughs> if I were to watch Tom Brady take not even one of those, like none of one of the nasty hits, one of the baby hits, like we would have been having a conversation about like, wow, there was a lot of URs in that. And then there would have been a big one that was dirty. And there would have been like, wow, you know, TJ Ward shouldn't be in the league anymore. You know what I mean? Like, it would have <laughs> yeah. been like that, you know? So it's beyond me how it is, like, a, that double standard. But, I mean, when you allow him to play and you treat him like every other quarterback, he is one of the top quarterbacks in the league. Absolutely. We should okay. talk a bit about the Eagles, I think. Uh, Carson Wentz had one hell of a statistical game, 30 for 37, 310 yeah. yards. But uh, without Ajayi, they cannot run the ball to save their lives. Yeah. And that's I, a good way to prevent fourth quarter comebacks. Yeah, I was kind of uh, lost to what they would do. And it seems like they still haven't found a... a There's a new a rumor every day about who they're going to get. They're going to trade for Bell. They're going to get Shady McCoy back. They're going <laughs> to... There's all this sorts of stuff, but so far they yeah. haven't done anything. They need to make some sort of move or they will not win a Super Bowl again. And they do have the ability to win. Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, this is the same team that we saw. They didn't lose a lot of talent, unlike a lot of Super Bowl teams that hemorrhaged talent. That's not what happened to them. No, not at all. I think the reality of it is is that they should give a... hmm, Let's go with... Uh, even a second round pick and get Le'Veon Bell. Second and a fifth. Uh, second and a sixth. Second and a seventh. I don't care. Give him something. Get Le'Veon yeah. Bell on your team. because you I think need... a second would be enough for Bell at this point. You're only getting nine games of his services at this point. I mean, true, but you know, they're kind of jacked up in price because it is a team that you will be playing again. I don't live so, in Pennsylvania. I wonder if there's the same sort of rivalry you see between like the Flames and the Oilers here, where they almost never trade with each other. I wonder if I that would guess, be a problem with a, a Steelers Eagles trade. My guess is probably, but who knows? Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like try something because you need a runner of some sort. 
and Adrian Peterson got picked up already. So, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you're right there. Um, okay, let's move to another uh, exciting game. The Pats and Chicago. Yeah, so this is another game that epitomizes, I think we now know, we know the Pats are good. There was, yep. we kind of expect the Pats are going to be good even when they struggle in September because they've seen it so many times, but like, um, this is another legitimate Super Bowl. Maybe the Chiefs are ahead of them in the AFC, but if you're asking me right now, I'm saying the Patriots, my bet would be on the Patriots to get back to the Super Bowl. I think that would be a fair statement because, wow, did they ever wake up. Uh, they played a tight game against a good offense. Um, and, you know, I won't say the best offense in the league, but definitely one of the best defenses in the league. So, you know, uh, their their defense isn't that strong, so it allowed a good offense no, to yeah, take advantage of that. it. Yeah, so it allowed a good offense to take advantage of that. And offensively, they played against probably one of the top three defenses in the league. And, wow, did everything you want to see from a Tom Brady-led team. Yeah, like, it was methodical. It, it looked almost easy. <laughs> like, he was it, just it marching. He got sacked a couple times, but really, he was marching down the field. He the game like was close. One-score game. Uh, Kevin White got the Hail Mary pass was actually completed, completed, but Kevin White yeah. was outside of the end zone when he caught it. Yeah, yard um, short. So, but to me, watching the game, I didn't feel it was as close to it as it was. And the Chicago Bears, like we got all this hype about the Bears, they're three and three. Yeah, it's this might be kind of like the Cleveland situation where it's a team that's got more talent, but they still don't know how to win. Yeah. I so I don't think I'm expecting a lot out of the Bears this year. No. I I feel like the Bears are exactly what you've seen here. Like, they're capable of beating up on P-poor defenses. I mean, uh, yeah, P-poor defenses that are, you know what I mean? I feel like it is P-poor, but it is, you know, a Belichick one, so it's going to make plays when it matters. Yeah. Like, stopping them on the one. <laughs> um, yeah, they didn't. They didn't miss their assignment there. They didn't get no. lazy just because he caught the ball. Just because it was a hail mary, they made sure to make that tackle. Exactly, and and it showed through again by uh, you know um, the Tom Brady you know led offense being able to take advantage of every little thing, like every little thing your defense does. Yeah. Oh. It's crazy. It's James I, White I, is still leading the team in receptions every week, which kind of worries me. I don't know if that's yeah. something that can continue through the playoffs, but otherwise, they've been very impressive the last couple of weeks. I would agree with you, and I feel like it, definitely the Chiefs and them are going to be a battle when they play <laughs> each other again. Now, let's move on to the last game of the week. I'm sorry to do this to you, but we're going to have to talk about uh, New Orleans and Baltimore. Okay, well... You know, it sucks because I saw something I thought I would never see my entire life. Justin Tucker, uh, let's down! <laughs> Justin Tucker misses an extra point in 222 attempts. He is now missed one. Uh, I thought the man was a robot. 
But when I watched the kick, I still don't know how he missed it. Yeah. It looked like it was going right down the pipes, and literally at like the last second, it like is around the post. Like I'm like, huh? Like I don't know. It it was a tough one, <laughs> and even you you see his face. His face is like. Did I just oh yeah, miss that? he's got those weird <laughs> bulging eyeballs, and they bulge yeah. out further than ever. And yeah, because you—he's never he has that much faith in himself, and that's exactly what you want from a kicker. And I hope this doesn't lead to the yips, and we watch a Vanderjack situation where he all of a sudden you just can't hit a kick at all. Yeah, or, you know what I mean. Maybe like, it was just like a bad day, or something was wrong with his cleats because the first field goal he kicked, he made it. But it wasn't a good kick. It was only like a 30-yard no. kick, and it just barely squeaked in the upright. So maybe just his cleats were off or something. Maybe and he it was, chalk it was a little cold or something. Who knows? But uh, New Orleans now 5-1. and one. Um, Yeah, your Super Bowl pick is looking real good. I think a lot of people yeah. are hopping on your bandwagon right now. <laughs> I feel like the Drew Brees, Elvin Kamara scenario is looking real good. Um I'm very happy with my pick, and hopefully <laughs> it's not knocked off course by the Rams. <laughs> yeah. Um, All right. Uh, I think we, we... So, breaking news today, we're recording Monday night at the moment. Yeah. Uh, Mari Cooper has been traded from the Raiders to the Cowboys for a first-round pick. Um, way too much. Man, the way Raiders are much. in full tank mode right now. <laughs> But um, got to give them credit for all the first round, but they're going to control the draft next year. 100%. And it threw me off how, uh, I don't know, how they, why would you give up a first round pick? You could have given a second. Like a third and something would have been something. But like, Do you think there was a bidding war maybe behind the scenes? Because that's the only thing that explains that me how you got thing, a first round pick. That would be the only thing that makes sense. There must have been like, someone in their division vying for it as well. Like, uh, I don't know. If it was the Giants, they wouldn't have won. So I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I don't know what it was. Yeah, um, maybe maybe Washington wanted a big time. Maybe, yeah, maybe that division, division thing is what happened. Maybe Washington was offering a second and a third or something like that. You know, because maybe, it does yeah. seem like they overpaid. Way too much. Uh and whoever is on the other team, like, good job on you. Like, making sure that they gave up a first to get them. Like, <laughs> like, whoever that other team was in the bidding war, you did a great job because they paid handsomely for a receiver who is really good. Don't get me wrong, and it does give you that player, but you still did overpay. <laughs> yeah, and the Cowboys have been drafting good lately. Yeah. They've been drafting so, you know, solid linemen or good position players so this yeah it doesn't make a lot of sense to me no not at all and i feel like yeah i don't know yeah you get what you get uh weird decision um but now we're gonna see the cowboys with a real number one receiver uh what happens now yep um that's exactly the case i think john gruden is smart here I feel like the one thing that people think is that he does not like uh, Carr, and I think he really does like Carr. But this is making sure that there's a bunch more parts fixed on this team that need to be fixed. 
Yeah, they're in full tank mode at this point. Like, well, I'm it, not sure. I don't think I have the confidence in Gruden's confidence in Carr that you do. I, I, I could definitely like, see him disappearing. Oh, I don't think he's a... I feel like he's the one thing that they wouldn't push out of there. He, I think he sees that he has the ability to make these throws. And the reason why he calls him out is because he thinks he can make those throws. And I think that's the case. Yeah. All um, right. Interesting theory. Yeah. Um, I'm sure I agree I guess, with it, but... I guess we should talk about uh, the game that finished up here not too long ago as well, which is the Giants in Atlanta. Falcons wearing their black jerseys, throwback to the late 90s. Exactly, uh, and managed to squeak out a win there. So, <laughs> Yeah, not the um, most exciting game. Atlanta's just no. clearly a more talented team than the Giants. Yeah, and I, I think that was the case. Uh, Giants, you know did do what they do look a little bit exciting here and there flashes of brilliance followed by swirling garbage um <laughs> and uh, yeah so we got exactly that uh very in you know bland game that led to uh an atlanta w so there's yeah, the that nfc south is that's the one weak team so far and they keep Oh, I guess Tampa Bay, we don't expect anything from them. But that's no. a strong division this year. Very true. Okay. Um, I guess we're sliding over to baseball now? Absolutely. Okay, so we want to welcome Matt on the podcast. He's bringing us our World Series pre-series hype uh, starting here upon Tuesday. Um, I guess your predictions went a little too well. <laughs> Almost perfectly. <laughs> I guess I knew what I was talking about. A little bit. That's why I got brought back. That's why it's exactly. Yeah, what exactly. Back. When you come in with an insane amount of notes, you uh, you get the call back. <laughs> yeah. If we had the Brewers Brewers Yankees in the series, we would have just ignored you. You don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Kevin does. <laughs> I couldn't blame you, but uh, but uh, Kevin doesn't know what he's talking about. So we're we're good to go. <laughs> All right, so I, I mean, I guess we'll just get it started right away. Uh, I think we're going to talk Dodgers first, so we'll go through uh, the two series that they've been through, and then we'll get to the Sox and then some, some prediction time. Uh, so the Dodgers are 7-3 and three so far in the, in the playoffs. They swept Atlanta and then went to a seven-game series with Milwaukee. Uh, the Dodgers-Atlanta series was pretty pretty boring, to be honest. I was I mean, pretty sad about that. I it thought was a the sweep. kids could do it. Yeah, I mean those those Atlanta young hitters they just didn't really Not they didn't really show up, you Not know, like Freddie Freeman had a decent series, but you know, they're just young and I think this will be a good taste for Atlanta, but they're just not ready to compete with the big boys. Yeah, the first um, round in general was pretty much a dud. I don't think we saw a lot of excitement. Anywhere. Yeah, no, I mean other than that Sox Yankees series, none of them were really uh too exciting. Uh the the two guys that kind of had a big impact on the series didn't actually hit that well. Muncie and Machado both hit under 200 in the series, but uh, they combined for 10 RBIs, and it was kind of one of those series where the offense was just good enough to get by with how good the pitching was. Kershaw was dominant as usual, eight innings, zero runs, three strikeouts, zero <laughs> walks, just doing what Kershaw does. Ryu was really good. Bueller was good. The bullpen got the job done for them. It was just kind of a, they walked over them and and they didn't even have their offense running really. So it was a pretty quiet series. I didn't even watch a whole lot of it other than uh, 
just kind of the highlights, and I think I watched Kershaw's start, but other than that, it, it was pretty bland. <laughs> um, the Milwaukee series, on the other hand, was a little more exciting, exciting the <laughs> yeah. seven-game series. Uh, Definitely the best best series of the year, year so far, I think. I would say so, yeah. I mean, the Sox-Houston series was pretty wild. Uh, it, it ended early, but the there was a lot packed into those, those five games. Yes, there so. was. Uh, you know, Kershaw in game one, uh, gives up a bomb to a relief pitcher and loses, you know, that's never a good start for the Dodgers <laughs> when Kershaw's losing. <laughs> that's usually, uh, spells disaster for their playoff series in the past. So they're able to bounce back and win game two, uh, game four down two games to one goes 13 innings. Both benches had no guys left. Both bullpens had basically nobody left. <laughs> it was wild. I was up until like 1 o'clock in the morning watching this stupid game. I couldn't shut it off. Yeah, yeah. for someone who needs... I got to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. I could not turn that game off. <laughs> got no sleep that night. It was, it was so good. The, the, the Dodgers finally come out on top. And I mean, that's a huge, a huge win for them. You go down 3-1 to Milwaukee... You know, you're probably toast, but they're able to tie the series up there in game four. Uh, then game five came, and this is when things started to get a little heated. Oh, um, this was a kick, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Machado kicks Aguilar as he's going through first base, and Machado has a, a, a history of these kind of oh, bonehead moves that he has made over the course of his career. He had a pitcher throw at him uh, inside back when he was with the Orioles uh, against the Athletics, and he ended up throwing his bat down uh, the third base line. Um, then there was the slide into Pedroia. I think it was last year, maybe the year before. It was last year because he hurt Pedroia's knee. Pedroia missed the entire season this year. He had 11 at-bats. And then there was the controversy with you know uh, the Red Sox throwing at him, narrowly missed hitting him in the head, and now he's yeah. got this on his on his resume too. So he's got he's got some previous stuff, and there's previous stuff that has to do with the Sox. He's not well-liked in Boston, and he usually plays pretty well in Boston. He loves hitting at Fenway, so there's going to be a lot, of, a lot of booze coming for him. Although, I mean, after game six and seven, he's probably used to it. <laughs> the fact that he's seen that pitching staff so often, is that an advantage for Machado, or is that an advantage for the Boston pitching staff? I mean, I think it's... It's probably an advantage for both, but it might be a bigger advantage for the Dodgers as a whole because those guys can pick Machado's brain on the things that Red Sox pitchers do to attack hitters. Yeah. So they can benefit from it, you know, hitters one through nine, whereas the Sox only know how to attack Machado. These teams haven't played each other all season. They, these guys don't know each other at all. Kershaw's never pitched at Fenway in his entire career. That's crazy. You know, these these guys do not know each other at all other than guys that have played elsewhere before getting to this series. You know, Dozier yeah. knows a little bit about the Sox being in the AL with Minnesota. Machado obviously knows the Sox very well playing in the same division. Rich Hill pitches for the Dodgers and used to pitch for the Red Sox on two different occasions. So he's got lots of friends on the Sox side and, and knows a lot of those guys. So there's there's some connections, but as far as competing head-to-head, there's really nothing to go off of. Yeah. Um, 
the Dodgers' biggest issue so far, I mean, we're talking about a team that's in the World Series, so they haven't had a lot of issues, <laughs> but yeah. they had the most home runs in the National League. They had probably the best offense in the National League, and their offense just has not shown up. Yeah, uh, Chris Taylor's probably been their most productive guy so far, at least as far as consistency goes. You know, Bellinger wins the NLCS MVP, but he struggled. Yeah, he was terrible the in the first round and was bad for like the first what first three games or so of the NLCS as well. Yeah, he just came up with some clutch hits, but I mean, he hasn't been consistent. Justin Turner hasn't been as clutch as he typically is. Machado, his average is pretty low. You know, Chris Taylor's probably been the most consistent guy they've had, but he's not supposed to be a big bat in their lineup. He's supposed to be a guy that turns the lineup over. So they need those guys to show up. I mean, their their pitching is going to be strong. They've got Kershaw, Ryu, Bueller, Hill. The rotation is super strong. The bullpen has been better so far in the playoffs than it was during the regular season. Kenley Jansen seems to be back to normal since his heart condition issues. So, I mean... They're in the World Series for the second year in a row for a reason. They're a good ball club. They're definitely the underdog going in, but they're a good ball club. They can do some damage, no doubt about it. I did want to ask about, uh, it's not necessarily Dodgers related, but Wade Miley. What did you think about his one batter appearance and kind of the, the messing with the Dodgers lineup? Yeah, I mean, it was interesting to do it in a spot that big. You know, it's it's one of the older tricks in the book, but it hasn't <laughs> been done in so long. And to do it in in that spot, in a game that important, was it was shocking. I mean, I understand Craig Council's logic, and and it made sense, especially with the way that the Dodgers roster is constructed and the the weakness they have going up against a lefty. But. Uh, it, that, was, it was surprising, no doubt about is it. Is that the kind of thing we might see in the future, or is this going to be something that's too frowned upon to ever become a regular occurrence? I think it's a pretty one-off thing, because if you start doing it consistently, it's going to look like a bit of a pattern, and then teams are going to pick up on it. They're going to call your bluff, and then you're going to have a relief pitcher going against a lineup that's stacked the wrong way, and <laughs> it's going to get ugly, right? It's something you kind of have to do out of the blue and, yeah. and shock some people with. So I don't think it's something that's going to become like a, a regular occurrence, but it was certainly interesting to see Council use it in that spot. He uh, He's a creative manager, so he's entertaining to watch. Yeah, definitely not by the book. No, not at all. So that's, that's what I've got on the Dodgers. Um, now we get to the Sox, and this is, this is a team who played two series with some serious uh, substance. You know they 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 ran over both teams pretty easily. They're seven and two, and they're five and zero oh on the road. But a lot has been packed into those games they've played so far. <laughs> Definitely. So they play the first series against the Yankees. Uh, they win game one. They lose game two, and uh, Aaron Judge makes the mistake of giving the Sox some bulletin board material yeah. and decides to play New York, New, New York, York, through the hallways of Fenway. <laughs> And uh, he's Sox, young. He doesn't doesn't understand. Yeah, the Sox turn around and beat him sixteen to one the next night in their own house. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty ugly. Give up a, a cycle to Brock Holt <laughs> in a playoff game for the first ever postseason cycle. So 
that, s- that may have been a bit of a misstep on Judge's part. Yeah, when Severino goes bad, he goes really bad. He doesn't. Oh, <laughs> he doesn't just have a a slightly off game. No, he he goes down quickly. I mean, Aaron Boone left him in too long. There was a lot of Yankees fans that were unhappy with the way that game was managed. But I mean, that only accounts for less than half the runs the Red Sox scored. I mean, yeah. that game was just an absolute drubbing. No amount of managing was going to fix that game. So, um, you know. Game one, Sale comes out, wins the game. Porcello comes out of the bullpen, which was a surprise. You know, Alex Cora has been pushing all the right buttons in this postseason. And then in game four, they do the exact opposite. Porcello starts the game, keeps him in it. Sale comes in in the eighth inning out of the bullpen. When, if they lose that game, Sale's the game five starter. So weird choice. You know, it's it was a, you know, he literally said to the, the, the bench, we're all in. He's coming in. They they were not thinking about the next day. It was, <laughs> he's coming in and we need to win now. Yeah. We need to put it on their throats and choke them out. It's, this has got to be <laughs> it. So, you know, that's what it takes to win in the postseason, especially against 100-win teams. And Cora has been, has been getting it right. Um, yeah, he hasn't been managing passively. He's been, he's been no, very he's involved in the entire aggressive. process. Um, they scored 30, 30 runs in four games in that series. Just an absolutely relentless yeah. <laughs> attack. So, uh, it wasn't a particularly close series, but I mean, Yankees Red Sox is always compelling. So, uh, it was, it was fun to watch, especially as a Sox fan. I certainly don't mind watching the Red yeah, Sox. The big rivalry games, the big rivalry games are always best when your yeah, team wins. Well, especially they they clinch the division in New York, and then they win the ALDS in New York. It just kind of rubbing salt in the wound, and I have no problem with that for Yankees (laughs) fans. So, and then we get to I did want to ask a couple questions about the Yankees. Uh, The Yankees are kind of like the poster child for this new analytics where it's home run or bust. Yeah, and it just I felt watching the 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 series that why wasn't there any attempt to make small ball tactics is it just that the yankees aren't built that way is it just because stanton like stanton was terrible is there not yeah, something you awful. can do i mean their roster certainly isn't constructed that way when you look at the guys they have they've got a bunch of mashers and i mean they're building a a, a team around that because partly because of where they play i mean that ballpark is built to have home runs hit so it's it's hard to just change what won you 100 games yeah. and go away from it because it's not working for three or four games. Yeah. You know, the, the, whole, the whole deal with a, a baseball season is you play 162 games, you're going to lose some. But when what you do works, you kind of have to stick with it and just trust the process. Yeah. And, you know, they, they just came up against a team that's better than them. The Sox are just right. a better team. Just too much talent. They're just deeper, their pitching's better, their lineup's better. You know, they've got two guys that are legitimate MVP candidates. And, you know, Mookie didn't even hit during the series, really. Yeah. He hit, like, 188, and they still dominated them. If Mookie's hitting the way that he showed he can all season long, you know, this series is even more of a bloated, and it's probably a sweep. So, (laughs) you know, 
it just it wasn't particularly close, and I I don't think it was uh, a lack of New York's performance. It just there's a gap there between the yeah. two teams. Yeah, oh, Boston okay. is really that team. It seems like like from top to bottom, their entire roster is not only like more talented, but firing on all of the right cylinders almost across the board. Hundred percent. I mean, Martinez had six RBIs in the in the four game series and hit like three fifty seven. He's been their guy all season long. And then when you start getting contributions from guys like Brock Holt having five RBI games, like that he's a utility player. You know, when you've got contributions like that from the bottom of the lineup, it's tough to compete no matter who you are. So yeah. So that series was it was fun mostly because of, you know, the New York Boston rivalry thing, but you know, it, it's entertaining to watch these guys just do what they do no matter what. Then you get to the Astros series and the Sox drop game one, which is Chris Sale's start, which is kind of like the Dodgers losing a Kershaw start. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. you don't expect to lose when you've got your best horse going. So um, they get down after the first game. They come back and win game two against Garrett Cole with David Price on the mound. He didn't get the win because he didn't go deep enough into the game, but for the first time in the postseason, a team won a start that David Price started. <laughs> and he wasn't so, superstar, but he wasn't a disaster either. They didn't win in no, spite he, of him. He, he kept him in the game, and a lot of people were complaining that, you know, this is just the same old David Price. And I, when he came out of that game, I was happy that he had done what he had done. He... He was grinding through that start. He was having some control issues. I think he issued four walks during that game. And he just kept going out there and grinding and grinding and grinding, kept him in it, and let the bullpen take over and the offense take over and get a win against, you know, Houston's co-ace in Garrett Cole, which, you know, going into the game, a lot of people were predicting Boston was going to be down 0-2. Yeah. Yeah. Going so, home to Houston, which everybody thought was going to be impossible to a disaster. So hold to dig to, out of. To win that game was a a huge deal. Then they win game three, so now they're up two games to one. Everybody's kind of thinking if we can take one of the next two, we go back to Boston up, and we got two chances to close it out at home. They win game four in just <laughs> wild fashion. I mean, in the the first inning. There's the, the controversy with the Jose Altuve home run, yeah. with the fan interference. You know, from the views that I saw and my background in, in umpiring and in baseball, I think it's one of the most incredible calls I've ever seen live by yeah. an umpire. Yeah, yeah. I, I truly believe that they got the call right. The guy's arms were, were extended, extended out yeah. past the wall. Yeah. They, the second... That glove is touched, it's interference, and yeah. it's an out. That's how the rule is written. Yeah. The only question was, where did the interference occur? Was it above the wall or in the stands? Yeah, because once you get... the stands, it's fair game. Yeah, exactly. And I, I thought, like, it's impossible to tell once the call in the field was made because of that security guard that got in the way of that one camera angle. Exactly. Um, and, and, there, and there's and no way you could overturn it. it. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I felt it was the right call. I felt that... You know, Joe West was getting a, a, a tough goal from the fans. <laughs> yeah, it didn't yeah. help that that was Joe West. Like, if that was some umpire that no one's ever heard of, uh, that story might die down a little quicker. But 
Yeah, but you know West has that reputation for he. West isn't a bad umpire. He's just yeah. It's not an Angel Hernandez situation. Exactly, he's a big personality though, and he has a, a history of making himself a little bigger than the game, yeah. so people don't like him because of that. But he's a, I mean, he was behind the plate, I think, the game before, and he called a really good game behind the dish. He's a good ump. He's just got a bit of an ego for an umpire, which, which doesn't <laughs> It's help. never great. I mean, you made your, he made his brand, and his brand is kind of being that larger-than-life. Yeah. Um, so it's like you're kind of going to expect when that call goes one way, they're going to be like, it's because you're that thing that kind of you created. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, so... That all happens, and we're only done the first inning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this game was 2 nothing Sox, 2-1 Sox, 3-1 Sox, 3-3, 4-3 Houston, 4-4, 5-4 Houston, 6-5 Boston after a home run by Jackie Bradley Jr., 7-5, 8-5, 8-6, and then they've got the bases loaded with two out and their best hitter in Alex Bregman at the plate, and he takes a first pitch fastball from Kimbrell and lines it into left field and Andrew Benintendi makes a diving catch to end the game if that ball gets by him yeah. it's game over they're oh, gonna yeah. knock him off <laughs> yeah you know they're running on contact with two out all three of those runs are scoring yeah you know maybe maybe the best catch in a situation like that <laughs> I've ever seen yeah like, like not the most athletic catch we've ever seen but as far as situation and what it meant to the season and, I mean, he acknowledged that he knew in that moment, if I don't catch this, we lose. Like, this is yeah. do or die. Yeah. I thought he was going to play it on a hop and try and make a, a, a throw to home to catch the second runner. And then it's either a tie game or, or you, win. you win on the out at home. Yeah. When he laid out, like, I was losing my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Until I knew you caught it, I was freaking out. <laughs> Um, then there was the Bregman Instagram post. I don't know if you saw this, but he, he posted a, a video from when Nathan Eovaldi was with the Rays earlier in the year. He gave up back-to-back-to-back home runs by Springer, Altuve, and Bregman. And uh, Bregman posts this video of him saying, just doing some pre-game video work, and it's just the highlights of the three home runs. <laughs> and, and AJ Hinch asked him to delete it, but it had already gone viral by the time he had deleted it. And it's it's just kind of the same situation as the, you know, the the Aaron Judge thing playing New York, New York. Like, don't give this team a reason <laughs> to want to beat you more. Right. So in game five, David Price comes out, throws six shutout innings, striking out nine hitters in easily the best playoff start of his career not even close yeah even after his last game you as a red sox fan you could not have been expecting that kind of performance it was it was unbelievable it's one of the best performances i've ever seen him have period it's one (laughs) of the best performances i've ever seen in the postseason period it was just an incredible performance but then Eovaldi comes in in relief throws a 102-mile-an-hour fastball past Bregman to strike him out, and then David Price is yelling from the bench, post that, post that. <laughs> <on his head." laughs> it was hilarious. So they uh, they get Kimbrell into that game. He comes out as his first clean close of the playoffs. They think they found a 
uh, pitch tipping issue that he was having. They actually got a text from Eric Gagne, of all people. Really? Um, he saw it on TV and texted uh, Alex Cora and said, hey, I think this is what's going on with Kimbrell. They worked on it. He came out, and all of a sudden, it was like he was back to normal Craig Kimbrell. So it appears that they found what was going on with him, and, and he kind of proved it. So hopefully he's ready to go for the World Series now. What did you um, think about uh, leaving Verlander in as long as they did in that game? Because I, I, mean, I, I turned to my dogs because I was just sitting in my house alone and I said out loud, you got to get Verlander out. And literally the very next at bat is when he gave up that home run, the three-shot sh- three home run. And I, I thought that was just, a big mistake on Hinch's part. I mean, it's, it's easy to look back now and think, you know, that's a mistake. But... I did it in the moment. I'm, he, <laughs> I called my shot. He's, he's just to my dogs, innings, but it happened. He's five innings in, and the only thing he's given up is a solo shot to one of the best hitters in baseball. And you know, it's a tight, it's a one-run ball game, and you've got your best pitcher on the bump. It's tough to pull a guy in that scenario. You know, maybe... So it wasn't that unusual he, that he got left out, is what you're saying. Especially with, with it being Verlander. Like, oh, I think okay. if it would have been anybody else on that team allows two base runners, they're probably going to the pen for somebody it, it, face To me, it just didn't seem like he had the control anymore. He was just that little bit off where his pitches weren't hitting like the corners he wanted. They were floating just a little bit, and I thought at, at the time that... You got to get rid of him, and then not only did he give up the home run, but he let him pitch for a little while longer after that. Yeah, he let him finish the inning, and I mean, he was able to get out of that inning without giving anything else up. But I mean, at that point, it was kind of yeah. once he cleared I mean, the bases, it's to easier be fair, to hold him down. <laughs> to be fair, I mean, that home run that Devers hit isn't a home run in almost any other ballpark. Those Crawford boxes at Minute Maid Park are pretty shallow, and that was kind of a. I mean, off the bat, I thought it was a shallow pop up. And then yeah. it's just sailing and sailing and sailing and ends up in the seats. I couldn't believe that it got out of the ballpark. <laughs> so, I mean. Nothing like I, Bellinger's home run yesterday, I think it was. Just, yeah. <laughs> that one was, was a deep one. the deck. That one, yeah. you, you knew immediately that one was gone. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it, it wasn't particularly close. It wasn't the series that everybody had predicted. I mean, I yeah. called this series to go seven games. I thought it yeah. was going to be way tighter than this. I mean, to win three on the road in Houston was was incredible. I don't think anybody saw that coming, but not at all. I yeah, mean, but like you said at the start, it was a five-game series, but it was a close, entertaining five-game series. It wasn't yeah, like a lot I of mean, the first-round series we saw. And the, the offense was insane. I mean, other than the game five when they clinched, the first four games – the winning team scored at least seven runs. Like, it was, you know, like 7-5, like 8-6, like high-scoring, entertaining, exciting games to watch with guys that are exciting to watch play baseball, like Bregman, like Springer. I mean, Altuve was a little less exciting because his knee was really, really bad. He had surgery already, they announced, so, I mean, he was not the same guy that he typically is, but it certainly wasn't a pitcher's battle sort of series it was a it was two really good offenses slugging it out so yeah it was fun to watch all right we should move on to the preview side of things what do you think of the upcoming world series so i mean 
if we want to get right into the outcome, I've I've got the Sox. I mean, I I, I picked them to win it all mm, to begin yeah. with. I'm sticking with it. I picked them to win it in six. I mean, I don't think it mattered who was coming out of the American League. They were going to be favored against whoever came out of the National League. Uh, the betting lines have it the same too. The the Sox are definitely favored to win this thing. Yeah. But I mean, the Dodgers have been here before. They did this last year. They know they know what it takes. They they took the Astros to seven games last year. So you can't can't act like they don't have any shot of winning this thing. They're here for a reason. Yeah. There's some interesting storylines here too with uh, like the Sox hitting coach this year was the assistant hitting coach in L.A. last year, so he can. You know, take some of that information that he has with the LA hitters yeah. and relay that to the Sox pitchers for game planning and the catchers for game planning. And so, you know, that's going to be an advantage. Um, I mean, game one's going to be Kershaw versus Sale. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. That's set, your best set your TVs, set your alarms. Like, I honestly, as, as much as I want the, the Sox to, to jump out early and, and, and get ahead. I would love nothing more than to see like a one nothing battle in that season. Yeah. That game, yeah. It's going to be so much fun to watch if both those guys are on their game. Um, you've got Dave Roberts, who's a Red Sox legend because of the steal in 04 in, uh, in game four of the ALCS against the, the Yankees. It's like an all time moment in Red Sox history. He's the manager of the, of the Dodgers now. And him and Cora were teammates in L.A. from 2 to 4 and they both won a World Series with the Sox. Uh, Cora won in 7 Roberts in 4 and they're good buddies. Um, he said that, uh, Cora said that when, when Roberts got traded from L.A. to Boston, Roberts was actually really upset about it. And when the steal happened, Cora texted him that night and was like, if this works out the way it could, you're going to be a legend in Boston forever, <laughs> and then it did work out that way. Yeah. So they're they're actually really close. Um, and Cora made a comment about earlier in the season when the Dodgers were down like ten games in the division. Roberts texted them and said that he still felt like they could win the division, and Cora said he thought he was crazy. <laughs> I mean, he, he called it. They did end up winning the division. Uh, as far got, as ability goes, who do you think has the upper hand between those two? I mean. They're both really good managers. I like Dave Roberts a lot. I actually like the Dodgers a lot as well. I, they're one of my favorite teams, if not my favorite team in the National League. Um, so I like Roberts. Cora, I mean, it's a small sample size. I've only got one year to go off of, but he has he's done no wrong this year. I can't. <laughs> yeah, I've heard Boston writers already comparing him to, like, throwing him in the same conversation as Bill Belichick is like, we trust this guy implicitly. <laughs> it's been unbelievable. And it's been I mean, one year. The the players just speak wonders about him, like just with his communication skills and, and the way that he deals personnel and, and all those things. Like there's been nothing but high praise for him all season long. His bullpen management's been good. His his decisions with how he wants to deal with guys that are hurt, like when Sale was coming back and, and easing them back in and, and how he's dealt with all that kind of stuff has been exactly what they needed. All the moves that he made with lineup adjustments during the playoffs and whatever, putting uh, guys like Brock Holt in in certain situations where he feels they can succeed. He's just, he hasn't gotten anything wrong yet. 
you know he's done it he's done everything he can do right so it's it's hard to it's hard to pick which one's better i don't think there's a big edge either way really i think they're both very very good managers and i think there's only so much edge you can get out of a manager so all right um you've got the number one and number three payrolls in baseball two massive (laughs) national markets two of the nicest stadiums in baseball with dodger stadium and fenway park you know like i'm sure that the the tv guys are just loving this because the the ratings (laughs) are going to be through the roof yeah you know, yeah, you don't get to write the little guy story, but you get those huge markets tuning in. Yeah, there's there's going to be some some serious ratings numbers coming in out of this series. You know, you got the Dodgers back-to-back World Series. The Sox are going to their fourth World Series in 15 years, which is as many as anyone else has done in the last 20 with their chance to win their fourth World Series, which would be more than anyone else has. I mean, the, the uh, Giants have three but nobody's got four in that time span. And the other uh, two little things that could be a little wrinkle, uh, Sale was sick at the end of the series. He was supposed to pitch game five against the Strohs, and they pushed him back to game six. He had a, a stomach illness. He joked with reporters that he had an infection from a belly button ring, which was a joke. <laughs> but like, but oh, they ran real. with it. They thought he was serious, <laughs> and, and it kind of got out of control. And then they've just, Cora and him have just kind of been making jokes about it for the last two days. They won't tell anybody what was actually wrong. They just keep blaming it on a belly button <laughs> ring. So right. that's been pretty funny. And then uh, they're saying Mookie could play second base in the three games in L.A., oh, okay. which is an interesting uh, wrinkle because Jackie Jackie Bradley Jr. was so good in the the ALCS, he won the ALCS MVP. He had nine RBIs in in the five games. And, and they weren't to, insignificant RBIs either. They kept spots. hitting them in important spots, yeah. Huge, huge. He only had three hits and was able to get nine RBIs out of those three hits. <laughs> he had a bases-clearing double in game two. He had a grand slam, and he had a, uh, a two-run shot that was a go-ahead home run. So, I mean, he, he came up huge in all those spots, and his defense is, is so important. So they want to be able to keep uh, J.D. Martinez, Jackie Bradley Jr., Andrew Benintendi, and Mookie Betts all in the lineup, even when they're in the National League where there's no DH, and Martinez would typically be DHing. So what they've talked about is maybe in one of the games, two, maybe even three if it works, is having them line up with Benintendi in left, Jackie in center, Martinez in right, and then moving Mookie to second base, which is where he came up through the minors as a second baseman, but they moved him to the outfield because of Dustin Pedroia. And he's only played about 10 innings at second base during the regular season over the last three or four years, but it is something that he's been taking ground balls at second base during practice the last two days. He's been working with Pedroia on turning double plays and and whatever, so it, that's something that we could see, which would be a pretty drastic move, seeing as he's a gold glove outfielder, but they really want to have Jackie, Mookie, and Martinez all in the lineup, so it'll be interesting yeah. to see what they do. And we have seen, especially in the NL, like the lineups were never the same two days in a row, Roberts, and uh, like everybody was, everybody across the NL was switching their lineups constantly. Yeah, and the Dodgers so, are big on too, that too. Something and, like that. And playing matchups too. They're going to be doing a lot of matchup moving 
just they struggle against left-handed pitching a lot. So, which is why the Wade Miley thing happened with Milwaukee. And I mean, Boston's two best starters in Price and Sale are both lefties. So the Dodgers are going to have to try and play matchups to to help that lineup because if they just play their normal guys and just do what they do all the time against those two elite starters, they could get behind the eight ball in a real hurry if they lose the first two games in Boston and have to go home trying to win four games. Especially with how Boston's played on the road this year. Exactly, 5-0 and so far. So so I gave my prediction. I got Sox and six. Kevin, what do you got? I feel like uh, it's tough to go against the Sox, but how about L.A. and seven? <laughs> After that game seven World Series, uh, yeah, yeah, actually, I mean, I mean, and the Cubs uh, series went seven games too, so it'd be back to back to back. There we go. Yeah. I feel like uh, talent has won out. The Dodgers and the Red Sox were the most talented teams. You don't always see that in the MLB playoffs, but I think I got to stick with talent, which this year definitely means the Red Sox. So I'm gonna say Sox and five. Ooh, socks and five. There we go. Series. He likes that. <laughs> <laughs> Can't wait to see those nice new rings. <laughs> All right. Okay, awesome. Uh, so thank you uh, for coming on the show for uh, our baseball uh, money man. I mean, once again, <laughs> he has two sheets of notes. That's double-sided notes. That establishes this isn't two sheets, it's actually four. So once again, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me again, and uh, maybe we'll see you in the in the off season, we can talk some free agency and, oh, yeah. and the results of whatever happens here this week. So, absolutely. So, moving on to rapid fire now, um, we got a few little things here. If you wanna, I'll start it off, and you can give me some information here. All right. Anastasia Kazumina back for another year. Yes. So we haven't talked about it yet because the podcast has mostly taken place during the warm months, but Very you will true. definitely be hearing a lot about biathlon on this podcast coming up once yeah. the snow starts to fly. Yep. And Anastasia Kuzmina is one of the big names in the sport. She finished second. She's an older, she's 34 years old. We just had the Olympic Games and all these Olympic sports after the Olympic Games, you see a lot of retirements right afterwards because they don't want to last the four years to get the to the next peak but uh anastasia kuzmina just earlier this week announced that she is not retiring she's coming back still like i said second in the world cup rankings last year just behind um miko reitinen i believe it was okay um and this is great news because earlier we saw the retirement of uh daria domracheva better known as dasha so uh, we, there was the possibility if Kuzmina retired as well that we would have lost a lot of the high-end talent. Yeah. Dahlmeyer still there. Hannah Oberg, who was the surprise winner of the, the main event at the Olympics last year, is only 23, so I'm sure we'll see her a lot. <laughs> yeah, if she retires, that'd be weird. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, definitely for fans of the sport, uh, knowing that Kuzmina will be around for at least one more year is great news. Yeah, definitely. Um, Kaiser Makarainen, that's the name of the current current Crystal Globe winner. Okay, okay. Um, so, I mean, now that we have her back in this kind of situation, what, what does that mean? Like, before we're going to see maybe a whole bunch of new faces we never thought we'd see. Is this, does this guarantee, like, one of the medals to be hers? 
it's always hard to tell with uh, with an athlete. Like 34, you'd certainly see uh, biathletes having long careers into their late 30s. Yeah. Um, so I would I would suspect that she will certainly be in contention for a podium. Okay. Like it was surprising. I think the fact that Dahlmeyer wasn't right at the top last year. I think she's the biggest name in women's biathlon right now. Gotcha. And she would be the favorite going in. Certainly Macarinen again, but in amongst those names, Kuzmina is certainly there. Oh, okay, okay. So it is. So we should see some exciting things. Absolutely. Okay, so let's slide over. We have something else that's coming up here: the Invicticus Games. Yes, um, so this is a games for wounded and sick um, veterans from yeah. various countries. It was started by Prince Harry in 2014, I believe it was. I believe you are correct. Uh, one of the awesome things to see. I mean, these are warriors that have now been you know, injured that get to now do what they do best and compete, you know, work hard and battle. So yeah. uh, it's awesome to see that this kind of caught fire. I feel like last year they had a whole bunch of world leaders at this. Like yeah, it was in is... Toronto last year, so I think especially in Canada, it became it became much more focused. We saw a lot more of it. Yeah, hundred percent. But I, it, it, world leaders seem to pop up to this. I, I mean, we saw. Uh, I feel like was it? Do we still have Obama there? I feel like. <laughs> I'm trying to think of who it was. Like, I mean, obviously we saw, you know, uh, the Prime Minister of Canada there. We saw, you know, many crazy familiar faces here and showing this support. And it was so awesome to see. So uh, if you get a chance, check this out. We'll, we're going to talk about it a whole bunch because it, we, yeah. it needs to be talked about. It is a wild uh, kind of cool thing to see. So we will be talking about it a lot. Yeah, it just started. The reason why I wanted to mention it today, even though we haven't seen a lot of the actual sports take place, yeah, um, was check out wheelchair rugby. It's one of the best TV sports you can watch. For, for whatever reason, it works perfectly. To me, it's more exciting to watch than regular rugby. Like a lot of these games, they are like cycling. It's the same sort of thing, just with people that aren't quite as capable. Wheelchair rugby, to me, is more exciting. <laughs> it works for a TV sport amazingly. That's awesome. And uh, we'll definitely watch that and give you the, some results of that one and all the way down to the winner. But it's we're, like this is a really cool thing. Once again, check it out if you get a chance in Victicus Games. Okay, right. um, sliding over to now the NHL. We have a really weird situation and cool <laughs> record-breaking situation. Tampa took 33 shots in a period. Yeah, NHL record. They've been counting shots since 1955, and this is the most anybody's ever taken since that period. Uh, absolutely crazy to think about. Like <laughs> I'm not sure shots. what it means. but I uh, either. Like that. It felt important to notice. Oh, 100%. Um, I want to figure out exactly how that game ended, but um, it was absolutely nuts to see 33 shots happen. <laughs> um, yeah, we haven't talked hockey much, and a lot of that, the, this podcast, if anything, is a reflection of kind of how we're watching sports. And to me, 
I start paying attention to hockey once baseball finishes. Yeah. So that's basically why we haven't talked much hockey yet. Exactly. Okay, so on 33 shots, they did get three goals. I feel like that is fair. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a solid save percentage. There's nothing no, nothing the goalie needs to be ashamed of there. Not at all. That's a crazy amount of shots. And <laughs> it's crazy to think about that Chicago used to be the team to beat for so long and now it yeah chicago's like a mess and we can all cheer that fact <laughs> <laughs> right can't stand okay. the blackhawks um all right so let's finish it off with a topic you uh, you wanted to finish off um we saw a couple teams in college football link arms specifically in the michigan michigan state game we saw yeah. was a michigan state linked arms and walked right through the entire field, right through Michigan players warming up. Yeah. And I don't know what this is, like, at all. I don't get it. It's dumb. There's no <laughs> need for it. This is something, this is a different type of game where you need to be in a different type of mindset. But this is this is just some weird, stupid thing that they've decided to do to show that we're ready and we don't care what you think. But like at the same time, you doing this shows that you absolutely do care what they think. And I'm so yeah, glad. it's really showy, but it's stupid showy. Yeah, exactly. And OSU, it happened to uh, they did it to Purdue, and I'm so glad. So we saw both <laughs> the teams that did this lose. Because it's stupid, and it doesn't mean anything. Yeah, so, maybe it'll go away as quickly as it showed up. Exactly. Like, I like when you guys come out of the locker room, and you all link arms, and you do, like, the little back-and-forth sway that, you know, OSU does, and they go back, and then they go side, and they go the other side, and they, yeah, and they go faster, 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 and then they're like, yeah, and they all come running out, and it's super exciting. Like, do that. Like, that's super cool. You know, sing a song in your third quarter, uh, wave to the kids in the children's hospital, Every half, you know, uh, third quarter start, like those are the things that are cool about NCAA. These dumb yeah. things where they like, you know, walk through the crowd and uh, yeah, we're so ba. It's just dumb, and I hope it goes away as fast as it started following these two losses. Right, I just want to parrot everything you said. I don't really have anything new to add. That was well <laughs> succinctly said. Okay. My dog Wait. is snoring quite loudly right next to the microphone now, so it's probably time to wrap it up. <laughs> I think so. You know, if uh, the dogs are sleeping, it's go time. I mean, that's now two podcasts that have dogs that snore in it. Dozer, <laughs> the world-famous Dozer snores in the um, Pine of the Apes podcast. Hey, if you get a chance, check that out. There's a shameless plug. Um, thank you guys for listening to us. We, you know, we do it for the love of it. It's as simple as that. That's why it's called For the Love. Um, we'll catch you next week. Absolutely. Thanks for listening.